0: 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Oh, it's a beautiful weekend. Friday the 13th. Maybe I'll head out to Camp Crystal Lake after the show. I heard it's bring your own hockey mask night. Jason, is that you? How are you doing, everybody? Friday night football kicks off in about half an hour. Toronto and Winnipeg. Blue Jays playing a little bit later on in Seattle. We have more golf passes to give away before 8 o'clock. Passes for four of you to golf at Edmonton Springs. We'll have some trivia for that. We're going to do Name the Animal tonight. That's always fun. And, of course, we set up tomorrow's showdown between the Montreal Alouettes and your Edmonton Elks on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium. We have it for you here on 630, Ched. 330 for the countdown to kickoff. The game will start at 5. Morley Scott, Brendan S. Scott, Blake Dermott, Eddie Steele, and this gentleman, Dave Campbell, all part of our broadcast crew.
1: Dave, how are you doing, sir? I am uh, doing well, getting ready for the scorcher, and uh, might have to bring more uh, arm deodorant tomorrow. You know, every <laughs> break I'm going to lather up. Uh, arm deodorant? Like You're, you put deodorant yeah. down your arms as well? I never thought of that. I, I'll try that and let everyone know. Oh, go.
0: Dave's just gonna smother himself in deodorant. Breaking news Thank off the top plexi- of the show.
1: Thank goodness there's a plexi screen now between Morley and I, so he doesn't have to, you know, deal with that.
0: He <laughs> doesn't have to enjoy your aroma. All right. Well, yeah. uh, almost too much information, Dave. Though I don't think there is such a thing on uh, on this show. We we got. I was hoping we. I was hoping we'd have an updated intro for Inside Sports this week. With some elks touchdowns, (laughs) oh, but they didn't get one last week. I I guess we could Could have have put in maybe you know the sacks could have gone in there because the sacks were probably the most exciting plays uh, in the game. Okay, look, let's let's discuss this. Yes. Okay, so Seawell said what he said. Fine, fine, he's trash talking. He's trying to make some hype, but uh, you know Harris didn't have a great game, and the elks didn't really push the ball down the field, so. I, I do think Harris and the entire offense has to play better. The quarterback gets most of the scrutiny, whether that's fair or not. How, how are you looking at this for the offense this weekend? What, what has to happen? Who is it on, uh, to spur most of the improvement?
1: So you heard the comments from Trevor Harrison during our post game show. He put the loss on himself. That's as, as dejected as I've ever heard Trevor Harris, uh, certainly as an elk, and certainly his time in the CFL going back to his days uh, almost 10 years ago as a Toronto Argo, and he took it on himself. Now, we know that, and you, you mentioned it, it's not all on the quarterback. You know, the quarterback gets too much credit when the team wins. He gets too much blame when they lose. However, when I look at and assess Harris's performance, he had 333 yards passing, great, but how it happened was... Not the way you would want to have happen. I mean, he was one for four on attempts of twenty yards or more. His completion percentage was almost eighty percent in the zero to nine yard range, and that's what we saw a lot of. And you talk about your area of the field that you feel that teams need to attack, and I totally agree with you. Is that intermediate area, that ten to nineteen yard uh, zone, fifty-seven percent. So that that is not Trevor Harris like numbers uh for even that area you know when you take a deep shot it's hit or miss i mean it's it's i think if you're around 50 percent and hitting your deep shots as a quarterback that's pretty good um you know it just didn't look like a very composed uh at times uh sure of himself type of performance from trevor harris who let's Give the Red Blacks a lot of credit, led by Mike Benavides, who we saw here as the defensive coordinator for Edmonton for three seasons and uh, former head coach of the BC Lions and D coordinator there. He mixed it up a lot. He sent uh, blitzes at key times that really confused the offensive line and Harris. And what really bothered me, too, is that the average depth of attempt for Darrell Walker was five and a half yards. Average depth of attempt read average depth that's startling um greg ellingson was about 8 yards so what i'm trying to say is got to find a way to push this ball down the field and we only saw one catch of 35 yards that was a big play we saw about a 19 yarder i think from uh, i believe to greg ellingson and then we had a 40 yarder to mike jones that was wiped out because of a penalty that would have put the ball at the two and i would hope to you know, hope to goodness that they would be able to punch it in from that point, but, you know, here we are. Uh, I I didn't think the interceptions were very good balls that that Harris threw. I know Shai Ross was attempted on, uh, was targeted on two of those. I don't think Shai Ross made a good play on either ball, but at the same time, I don't think the ball was thrown up really well. The good news is James Wilder had a good game, but you can't rely on that all the time. You know what that game reminded me of? I I go back to 2005 when the... uh, when Edmonton was playing Toronto, the Toronto Argos, when Rich Stubler was their defensive coordinator and Ricky Ray's night was like 41 of 55 for 404 yards. They scored 15 points. Right. And that's the type of day I, th- I saw from Trevor Harris, a really plodding type of game. It's so hard to go up and down the field for 10, 12, 14 play drives. You need, you need quicker uh, chunks of yards. On certain drives so you need that that five play drive that seven play drive you can't be relying on chunks of offense all the time or chunks of uh, yardage of five to seven yards so we'll see what happens and and read they're playing a defense they have no idea what they're going to see it's baron miles who's the first time defensive coordinator i'm wondering if he's going to be more of what mike benavides uh runs because he's worked under him and played under him for a long time but and, and was a coach here under benavides as well in edmonton but you just don't know. But I think when it comes to the details, this is the ultimate game of, and it always is in football, but when you look at this game, we got to worry about ourselves. Dave, I'm wondering about something here. Now, we are
0: very early into a season coming off a year in which these teams did not play football, these players did not play football, and they did not have any preseason games. Now, granted, most of the starters don't play much in the preseason, but still they get out there and they get tackled and hit a little bit. Mm -hmm. And last night, the Calgary Stampeders did not score a touchdown on home field, matching what the Edmonton Elks did last Saturday. So in two Mm -hmm. of the five games played this year, the home team hasn't scored a touchdown. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, the offense for Ottawa didn't score a touchdown last week, but Bo Levi Mitchell, who did not look good, by the way, I mean, he doesn't look like the same player that he was, uh, before, and maybe he's just off to a slow start here, but yeah. he said it was check down city that they're taking away over the top and they're checking it down. And I, I know, you know, one thing that gets talked about in the CFL that the, the aerial show, you know, the, well, you'll, you'll turn on the game and it, you know, it might be 40, 30, and there might be mistakes, but there's going to be big plays is, is that there are some games where there aren't a lot of big plays and uh, some defenses are dropping back in a zone. They don't want to get beat over the top. They don't want to risk taking a pass interference penalty or, get, you know, getting a challenge and taking a penalty. So they're playing zone and making quarterbacks check down. And that leads to these lower scores and, and games with uh, that aren't quite as explosive. Now that's, I know that's the pessimist view, But it has something, it is something that's been discussed and that's popped into my mind at times. Uh, What do you make of that? And is there a way to counteract it to bring back some of the aerial fireworks that we might have seen in previous seasons?
1: Yeah, I think this is where you have to be creative as an offensive coordinator, and have to be uh, very, very cognizant of zone coverage when you're a quarterback. Because just because you're in zone coverage, read doesn't mean there isn't areas of the field you attack. Now, there are a lot of exotic zone defenses. I mean, we the, the match defense where you outnumber uh, the number of receivers. So if you're overloading with four, you send you, you have five, right? So it, it's difficult, but. Yeah, you know, when when offenses are looking for big plays, and, and Trevor Harris on a number of occasions was looking downfield. I mean, his first and second reads were, you know, scanning deeper the field than he decided to check it down because at least you want to get something. I mean, Blake Dermot has said that to us many times. You want to get something. But you know what? I, I think it's zone defense is complex because man-to-man defense, you know what's coming. You know that you're going to have – seven-man pressure, eight-man pressure, or the safety is going to come down on a zero blitz, and you know the middle's open, right? So, you understand that concept. You just got to get the ball out quicker. But in zone defense, you're hanging on to the ball longer, you're scanning longer, and as long as uh, your offensive line can hold up, that's great. But, you know, once you get to the three, four-second mark, the defensive line's going to win. So, yeah, teams right now are just saying, we're just going to play zone defense right now and make you earn it, and we're going to have these low-scoring games. But, you know as far as the offense is concerned there's always that gap the the gaps in the zone defense you just have to find it and there are that's when you got to be a bit more creative I think on offense to attack those uh, zones so it's hard to throw deep on zone defense I will say that but I do think there's that you know you talk about that 10-15 yard area I think that area does get open I asked Sigour Mobley once um it was a you know great former Edmonton linebacker I said what play really hurts you he says it's the 15 yard plays to 20 yard plays it's it's kind of it's more the 15 yard plays because that those are like death by a thousand cuts you know those are hard to stop and uh that's what I think when you talk about offenses and how you attack a zone defense I think you got to find those areas a bit deeper down the field all right any changes for the Elks for tomorrow uh, yes, uh, we'll have a new safety, uh, Scott Hutter, who was the safety last week. Uh, he's out with, the, uh, with a knee injury on the six-game injured list. So Eric Blake, who was drafted in the eighth round by the club in 2019, will start at safety for the first time in his career. So that's pretty pretty cool. I mean, Blake played well in uh, in relief of Hutter last week against Ottawa. And then a late scratch, uh, DeAnthony De- uh, Demary, the left tackle, who was listed as a starter on the depth chart. But uh, he has a knee injury, which was plaguing him in the early part of the prep week. Uh, they have uh, found out some new information about that knee. So he is out. So uh, here's my guess. Likely, Justin Renfro moves from right tackle to left tackle. And my guess is we'll see uh, either the global player, Steven Nielsen, or a possibility of Kyle Saxlid coming back into the starting group or into on the roster. He's on the roster now, but he's listed as questionable. He's still working through that back injury.
0: All right. Well, Dave, going to be interesting tomorrow. The Alouettes were uh, a fun team to watch a couple of years ago. They didn't always win, but they often made games interesting. Actually, one of their poorest games might have been the one they played against the uh, the double E in the uh, East semifinal when Edmonton controlled the first three quarters of the game and then held Mm -hmm. on to win it in the fourth. It's going to be hot tomorrow, starting a little earlier, which I like. The 8 p.m. members, I think, are a little late for a lot of people. I I hear that. So I'll see you at the stadium, buddy. Hope you have a great show.
1: Thanks, Reeve. Talk to
0: you later, okay? That is Dave Campbell checking in tonight, producer of this show and our analyst for our Elks broadcast here on 630. Chat five o'clock kickoff tomorrow at Commonwealth. Our countdown to kickoff on the good old radio starts at 330 and the offense, a lot of the focus for the Elks. It's going to be a tougher day for the defense because I think Vernon Adams more mobile than Matt Nichols and will should be able to do a better job at extending plays, but Boateng and Moore and Betts and the crew are going to be chasing them all around as well. I can tell you this a little bit of breaking news from the national hockey league the toronto maple leafs have announced that austin matthews had successful wrist surgery earlier today i will just read what the leafs put out here in a brief statement i'm just getting this myself matthews encountered discomfort upon increasing his on-ice trailing earlier this week after consultations with specialists and maple leafs medical staff surgery was the recommended course of action his recovery will be a minimum of six weeks so that means Austin Matthews will uh, at soonest be able at earliest be able to return right at the start of uh, training camp so uh, we'll see what happens uh, with that just seeing some of the Leafs media crew posting on social media that he was bothered by his wrist a a bit at times last season so Austin Matthews wrist surgery earlier today recovery a minimum of six weeks hey thanks a lot for checking in tonight I'm always happy to hear from you the hotline presented by Certain Teed, professional grade building materials, 780 496 0063. That's also the number to send a text if you use that form of technology. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R E I D W I L K I N S, and you can email the show, Inside Sports at 630CHED.com. A lot of fun stuff to get to. Stick around, Inside Sports on Ched. So yeah, if you missed that Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs had wrist surgery earlier today. He will be out a minimum of 6 weeks taking him right until the start of training camp. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. We were talking a bit about that Field of Dreams game. It was on the tube last night while the show was on. It ended uh after uh, after we signed off with the uh, walk-off home run by the White Sox. That was the most watched Major League Baseball regular season game since Uh, 2005, they had about 5.9 million viewers on Fox Sports, the most since a Yankees-Red Sox game uh, drew 5.9 million viewers on October 1st. So some context for that, because if I I throw out some numbers or I read some numbers, I like to look into, okay, well, what does 5.9 million viewers mean in terms of American television? Well, this year's Super Bowl back on February 7th had 91 million viewers and that was actually a fairly poorly watched Super Bowl the uh the Super Bowl back in 2015 between the Seahawks and the Patriots the uh best all time in terms of numbers 114 million viewers now this this is obviously a a regular season baseball game but an event game and not the championship game but just some context uh 5.9 million viewers that is a lot but still about uh you know, around 20% of what a Super Bowl, I mean, if you look at back at most of the uh, Super Bowls over the last 20 years, there's somewhere between about 90 and 110 million viewers. So there you go, big for Fox, but not as big as what they and the other networks get when they broadcast a Super Bowl. Okay, a little more football chat as we uh, move along. We'll touch on some Oilers storylines as well. It's Inside Sports on chat. Good to have you tuning in tonight. Friday Night Football kicking off in a few minutes. Bombers and Argos. Planes versus boats, I guess. Tomorrow, Elks, Alouettes. Commonwealth Stadium. 3.30 countdown to kickoff here on 6.30. Chad, game at 5. Then the uh, later game in the CFL tomorrow should be an interesting one. Hamilton at Saskatchewan. Hamilton, kind of like the Elks in, uh, in week one had uh, a few good moments offensively, but not nearly enough. And what Hamilton only scored six points at Winnipeg and Saskatchewan was in the process of blowing out BC last week and then had to hang on for a win in the second half. So those will be the two games coming up in the CFL tomorrow. I have a confession to make, everybody. And I only hope you can find it in your hearts to forgive me or still accept me into your lives. I did off the top of the show, make a reference to it being Friday the 13th and uh, going to Camp Crystal Lake after my show. Uh, Camp Crystal Lake is the uh, site of the action in, uh, I don't know if it's in every Friday the 13th movie, but certainly in some of them. Uh, I I have to, I should inform people, though. I have never seen the original Friday the 13th. Really? Uh, I have not, Kellen. I have seen, uh, I, I believe I have seen two of the Friday the 13th movies, I saw the one where Jason was in space. Was there not one where he was in <laughs> yes. space? Yes. I
2: can't remember the exact Jason, number, but yeah. Was it
0: Jason X? It might have been Jason X. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yes, because that's the one where he's uh, cryogenically frozen for 445 years. And uh, and maybe that's he's not in space, but I, I think that's the one where he's in the future. Somebody will know this. I, I know there's a, a, a Friday the 13th file out there. And, uh, and I saw Freddy versus Jason where they uh, where they fight Mm -hmm. where they square off that one I actually enjoyed it's 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 very corny very cheesy but I I enjoyed it it had a it had the proper sort of uh tone I think that you Mm -hmm. need once you've reaching the 10th or 11th movie in the series so the entire series and take notes on this everybody because at some point there will be a quiz if not tonight down the road if I'm still hosting in twenty we'll do it then Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th, part two, Friday the 13th, part three, Friday the 13th, the final chapter.
2: Spoiler alert. It wasn't wasn't. the final (laughs) chapter.
0: It wasn't the final (laughs) chapter because then less than a year later, there was Friday the 13th, a new beginning. Then there was Friday the 13th, part six, Jason lives. Then part seven, the new blood. Then part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. So I guess that one wasn't at the lake.
2: Right after the Muppets. (laughs) (laughs)
0: right that's right the Muppets took Manhattan so it's it's both a sequel to the Friday 13th series and a sequel to the Muppets take
2: Manhattan I'd watch that that'd be fun
0: (laughs) then part nine was simply called Jason goes to hell the final Friday then it was Jason X then it was Freddy versus Jason and then in 2009 there was a movie called uh Friday the 13th which I guess was they were going to try to restart it, but they never really did. So I've only seen two of those uh, 12 movies. Do I, at this point in my life, am I going to go back and watch the original? I don't think so. Uh, Dino Bambino says, I thought Jason X was a, oh, Dino, I'm not reading that. And that would be triple X, by the way, for where your mind is going. My goodness, Dino making everybody blush. Well, tell you what, let's let's do it now. Let's do the golf trivia now. Though it's not a golf question today, but I do want to send you and three people out for a day of golf at Edmonton Springs. So call in. Kellen will put you in the queue. I'll give you the question now, but you'll be able to hear it until you try to answer on air. The theme is the uh is Edmonton and Montreal in the Canadian Football League. They played a classic Grey Cup game in 2005. Who were the two starting quarterbacks in 2005? You have to say both of them. Who were the two starting quarterbacks in the 2005 Grey Cup? 780 496 0063. The completion of a trilogy of games between the Double E and the Alouettes. They played in 02 at Commonwealth. Montreal won. They played in 03 in Regina. Edmonton won that one. And then in 2005. They played uh, in Vancouver in the Dome, and it went to overtime. And of course, Edmonton won. So I want to know the two quarterbacks in that game 780 496 0063. This texture says, You don't like Elks for a name either. No, actually, I do like Elks for a name. Uh, I thought that was going to very likely be the name all along. I don't know what I did to suggest that I didn't like that name. I'm generally fine with team names. I mean, Whatever, name your team, market your team, go out and play whatever sports you play. All right, we got Dean up first on the phone line. Dean, what's going on with you tonight, buddy?
2: Hey, just uh, finishing up work, heading home.
0: Oh, good stuff, good stuff. Well, thanks for tuning into the show. It's I'm I I like 14 people listen to the show, so I'm always curious as to what they're doing. Uh, and, and why they listen. But driving home, thanks for picking me over, you know, like some, uh, like a jazz radio station or something like that. Uh, anyway, are you a pretty big football fan? Yeah, I am so. Yep. Okay. And by the way, I like jazz, but I, I would still listen to this over jazz. Uh, okay. Who are the two starting quarterbacks in the 2005 Grey Cup?
2: I'm going to say Anthony Calvillo and Ricky Ray.
0: You're absolutely one hundred percent correct and Ray Elduled Calvillo in overtime. Have you watched any football on this young season yet?
2: Yeah, I uh, saw the I saw the first game and uh didn't enjoy the last second.
0: <laughs> well, I d I didn't enjoy most of it offensively. I thought that <laughs> this this D line might be the best D line since the great like do you remember uh what they signed Montford for that one year and they had Alfred Payton? on, yeah. I think, the 0-3 team. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think this D-line has the potential to be as good uh, as those guys, but uh, the the offense, a uh, lot of yards, no points. Okay, well, th- have a safe drive home, and I hope you get to watch uh, Winnipeg and Toronto when you get home. Just stay on the line, okay, because Kellen's going to take down some information from you so you can go golfing.
1: Thanks, Reed.
0: Okay, that is Dean. Yeah, Ray and Calvillo and uh ricky ray we've had on the show a few times over the years since he retired he's always uh willing to come on and tell a tale or two we did a really cool story with ricky ray last year uh we brought him on and he told his in the entire process of remember that one year he went and played for the new york jets and what well, didn't really get get to play but he said how you know he didn't get a lot of uh, practice time didn't get a lot of reps and practice and all that kind of stuff and never really got a shot and then in 05 he came back and uh helped Edmonton win the great cup. In kind kind of a weird year. They were a good team. They had some games where they struggled offensively. I did well, I believe that was the year Ray went six or seven games without a touchdown pass. And even though Edmonton won most of those games, they weren't scoring a lot of points. Uh Danny Machocha was was the head coach which was because and now uh danny uh what what is he he's the alouettes gm and he was with the montreal Carabin for a while and i think that's now where anthony Calvillo is, as the offensive coordinator i'm kind of going six degrees of separation by memory here i hope i got all those current titles right but chocha was like he was a better offensive coordinator than head coach like i thought he was more aggressive as an oc than he was when he called plays as the head coach and maybe that's what higgins demanded of him um But yeah, that 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 '05 was when they went into Calgary for the West semifinal, and uh, we're down I think twenty three nine at halftime, and Jason Moss came in and lit a fire under the offense, and they wound up winning the game. Then they go to BC for the West final, and. they're uh, what they think they were ahead and bc caught up and then moss goes in late in the game again and they win again and then signor mobley got away with a slight bump on a receiver on a last play of the game i don't believe bc lions fans when they say it was pass interference but, but anyway uh memories of that year so dean knew it the uh, two starting quarterbacks in the 05 great cup ricky ray and anthony Calvillo. so here's don't despair if you didn't win golf trivia this week uh dave campbell Is going to be filling in for me next week. I'm taking a week of holidays. I think Brendan Escott's doing the show on Wednesday when Dave goes to Vancouver for the game. And then when I'm back the week of the 23rd, we'll do more golf trivia. So we'll give away some. Some passes so you can get in kind of a late season uh, round or two. D says, Isn't that the year when Machosha went on the field to play too early, thinking the game was over? That was the 05 Great Cup. I believe Danny has said that he, he thought the the pass was intercepted when it was actually knocked down. I think that's what he said after the game, what he actually saw or thought. I don't know. It wasn't in his head, but I think that's what he said after the fact. All right. We got a quick timeout. We we got a really interesting guest coming up after the break. He's going to have a cool perspective on something. It's Inside Sports on Chet. about this tonight here during the show last week and i'm sure many of you might have been following along while you were while you were listening to inside sports or, or certainly you saw the story and it, it was obviously televised that evan dunphy of canada got bronze in the 50k racewalk in tokyo and i know from some of the stuff i that some of you were texting in during the show while you're watching that and some of the things i saw after or on social media or just things you know friends said to me a, a lot of people I think don't see race walking except when they see it in the Olympics and a lot of people see race walking and say what is going on why are they doing that uh, how do they do it what's what's the whole thing going on like how, who's watching them to make sure they're not doing something illegal it's it, it, it is a very curious sport but for my next guest it's a way of life because tim barrett competed in five summer olympics in race walking he also competed in nine world athletics championships which uh at the time was a world record for a male track and field athlete i think it's been tied by a couple of people since then uh but edmontonian olympic race walker tim barrett is on the line right now tim thanks for hopping on man how are you doing i'm very
2: good thanks
0: Okay, well, thanks for popping on the show. Uh, We've done this a couple times in the past, and we spoke briefly this afternoon that it's time for our quadrennial interview, even though it's five years between Olympics now. But, okay, so can you describe to people what is a legal stride in race walking?
2: Okay, so there there are two things, basically. One is that you you have to... um, appear to maintain unbroken contact with the ground uh, so before your back foot comes off the ground the front foot has to be uh, touching the ground and the second thing is your uh, your front leg has to be straight at the knee until it's underneath your body and those things are both when I say appear to be those things are both judged by um, eight to ten judges who are watching around the course without any aid from any technology as it stands right now. So no cameras, no, no slow motion, no video, nothing like that. It's just as they see it. So um, so that's how it's judged. It's, uh, and these, these judges go through a whole process to get to something like the Olympic level and these are supposedly the best of the best that are, uh, that are monitoring the, the, the walkers as they go past. Okay,
0: so what happens if a walker is found to not obeying the rules, that he's not straightening that leg and he doesn't always have at least one foot in contact with the ground?
2: Okay, so what happens there is each judge acts independently and the, each judge can put in a, a, what's called a, a warning or a disqualification card. Uh, once, once the athlete gets three of those, uh, what used to be the case was that was it they were disqualified. Uh, as of a couple of years ago now, uh, in international events, um, once an athlete gets three cards from three different judges, they serve a time penalty, and depends on the race length. Uh, so for a 50 kilometer, that penalty is five minutes. So it basically puts you out of the race, and they go in into what's uh, what's known as the penalty zone. Uh, effectively the a sin bin or you know and uh, whatever you want to call it uh they have to they have to they have to wait there for for five minutes until they're released and they're back in the race uh but five minutes has gone past and so they're they're pretty much out of contention by that point right
0: so yeah five minutes
2: yeah like, the difference between first and third was, I think, 40, 48 seconds, something like that. So five minutes, it's, uh, yeah, you're not really in contention anymore. Um, and then just, just to add to that, if you get a fourth judge put in a, a card for either one of those two infractions, then that's it. You don't get any more chances. You're out of the race. So.
0: Okay. So here, here's something that got brought up during my show last week. I, you know, I had people write into me and say, "Read that. Like it looks painful. Is is race walking more difficult than running that distance? Is maintaining that gait and following those rules more taxing than what a runner might have to go through during his or her race?"
2: It's it's different. Uh, I, I don't want to say it's more taxing. Uh, there's a different skill set, uh, different technique. Uh, running, say a marathon, which is. The closest equivalent, um, which is 42 kilometers, 42.2, um, that'll take the top men uh, around about two hours ten minutes. I think the marathon was won about 208 in about two oh eight in in Tokyo Sapporo last week. Um, race walking 50k takes, or in Sapporo, um, took three hours and fifty minutes for the winner. Uh, so obviously you're out there that much longer. Um, you don't get the same kind of pounding that you do in running on your knees and your joints. Uh, but because of that, those two rules, you have to just to use that, so that that distinctive gait and stride, uh, which is basically to try and lengthen the stride a little bit longer um, and maintain that contact with the ground. Uh, so that takes different muscle groups. Uh, and because you're out there that much longer, you're more prone to, especially in the conditions they had in, in Japan last week, uh, you're more prone to you know, fatigue, uh, dehydration, muscle cramping, that kind of thing, especially in the last hour of the race. Um, so it, is, it, is it more difficult? Uh, hard to say. It's, it's different.
0: What did it mean to you to see Dunphy get the medal?
2: Oh, it was great. Uh, I mean, he's, he's been knocking on the door of that that kind of performance for well five years, I guess. Um, and he, even the year before before uh, Rio, he he won the Pan Am Games over twenty kilometres, which is considered the sprint of race walking. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> that's only an hour and twenty minutes. You know, that, that's the sprint. Um, so, and then in in, in Rio, as uh, as we spoke about five years ago, he he, he was just bumped off the podium, uh, finished fifth. Uh, oh, sorry, fourth. Uh, just uh, just got a bit of a, a shoulder nudge, which I think was totally unintentional on the part of the the Japanese athlete who who just passed him right at the end. Um, but he he's been working hard ever since, and that fueled his motivation. And, um, you know, he won a world championship bronze at the last world championships, which was two years ago in, in Doha, in similar conditions, actually, they, to what they had in Sapporo last week, super hot and, and humid, um, and showed that he could compete over in those kinds of conditions with the best in the world, and he, he did it again last week.
0: So, and we're just in the last couple minutes here, Tim, why does somebody um, take up race walking? Are they necessarily people who are also distance runners and just tried something new? Could have there been an injury or a, a mentor or an inspiration? Why do people usually go down that route?
2: It, it could be any of those. Um, I know for myself, I, I just tried everything in track and field. I did every single event in track and field, and this was the one I was... Better at relatively, um, I know Evan tried all kinds of things. He was a hockey player at one point. Um, um, he he did a bunch of other track and field events, and and same for him. This was the one he was uh, he was he was good at, and decided he was going to, you know, put his mind to it and his body to it, and really focus on seeing how good he could get. Um, the, the other Canadian, actually, in the race um, last week, uh, Matt Billadil, who at one point lived in Canmore, I think he's back in Quebec now. Uh, he tried a number of different, not just in track and field, but a number of different sports. He was a good cross-country skier. He did triathlon and then a whole bunch of and, and running, and ended up, you know, finding his niche, if you like, in in race walking. He he, um, this was his second Olympics after after Rio as well. All right. Well, Tim, I always enjoy your
0: perspective. Thanks for fitting me in tonight. Uh, I know you're busy. Oh, you're welcome. uh, We'll we'll do this again sooner than the next Olympics. Sound fair?
2: (laughs) Oh, I hope so. But if not, we'll set a date for Paris in 2024. There we go. That is Tim
0: Barrett checking in tonight from Edmonton. Five-time Olympian in race walking, two-time medalist at the uh, Commonwealth Games, 1994 and 2002. Good perspective there. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. If you want to chime in tonight, a little more on the Oilers and the Elks as we move along. Oh, and we're going to do name the animal as well. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does.